Amen. All right. First Thessalonians. Go ahead and turn there real quick. And then we're going to go to 2 Thessalonians. All right, 1 Thessalonians. So, last week we talked about the mystery of the rapture. This week we're going to talk about the mystery of iniquity. And I've given you quite a bit of notes. We're not going to be able to hit all the details of those notes, but I gave them to you for reference because um, these are things, pardon you, Andy, um, these are things that, um, that you're going to need to know. We talked about this at the very beginning, that these seven mysteries are going to be things that you're going to be held accountable for, that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, your stewardship of these seven things are going to be part of that judgment. So it's things that you need to know. And so I wanted to give you guys a little bit more notes so that way you would have them as reference. I hope you keep your notes. Um, if you don't, maybe you should start. Uh, if you happen to throw away some from past weeks with this series, I can gladly get you more. Um, but these are things that you're going to need to really chew on because... I mean, honestly, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I want to be found faithful. And if I'm going to be found faithful, these seven things are things that I need to know, that I need to make sure that I uh, keep when it comes to conversations with people, um, that when I study my Bible, that I have these things in mind. It helps me to stay away from false doctrine. There's so many benefits that come from these things. All right, so last week we talked about 1 Thessalonians 4 with the rapture where it says in verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we talked about the rapture, and that is 1 Thessalonians. And after the rapture occurs, then you have the book of 2 Thessalonians. And the book of 2 Thessalonians deals with the details of the tribulation and specifically the Antichrist and the revealing of the Antichrist. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is going to be where we're going to spend a lot of time here. But we're going to be talking about this mystery of iniquity. And it is deeply tied with the Antichrist. So even though we're not going to be here because we're raptured out of here, 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to be raptured out and we're not going to be here for the details of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's still very important that you know this. It's still very, very important that you know this. Because the mystery of iniquity is something that doesn't just take place during the tribulation. It's not something that just takes place when the Antichrist shows up and reveals himself. The mystery of iniquity has been at work since the very beginning of Genesis chapter 3, where the devil showed up with Adam and Eve, and he totally cursed the entire plan of God through tempting them and then falling into that temptation and sinning against God. And it even existed prior to that, before Adam and Eve even showed up, because the devil fell into sin himself. And so when we talk about the mystery of iniquity, it really is the plan of the devil to completely counter, counterfeit, and confound the plan of God. Because the devil does not want God to get glory. And in your life, you have three enemies. Who are your three enemies? The flesh, the world, and the devil. Those three enemies are coming against you every single day, every single day, to try to stop you from doing what is right and righteous and good and holy and pure. And so when we struggle with reading our Bible, which, I mean, we all do. I mean, we all struggle with reading our Bible. We all struggle with memorizing. We all struggle with witnessing. We all struggle. And the reason why we struggle is because of our enemies, the three enemies that we have. 
The mystery of iniquity is the plan to use those three enemies against you to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. And you have a choice to make, especially if you're a child of God. If you're a child of God, you have a choice to make. You can either let the mystery of iniquity have its way in your life and completely defeat you and stop you from doing what God wants you to do. Or if you don't belong to God and you're lost, you're actually part of the mystery of iniquity as well. Because you're not glorifying God with the life that God has given you. You're doing whatever you want. And there's no way, there's no way you can honor and glorify God until you belong to him first. So even though this mystery of iniquity, we're going to talk about the revealing of the Antichrist. Really, it's all about the Satan's plan to completely destroy God's work and specifically you and in your life. So I want you to think about your life as we work through some of these details. All right, so 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now we're going to read all these, 1 through 12. And I want to go um, pretty much just down the line. So let's start in the back row. We'll go, Will, we'll start with you and kind of work our way back this way. And we're going to do 12 verses, one verse apiece. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Will, you can kick it off and we'll just go down the line. destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the work, working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. Okay, so there is a lot that's here. And so what I did on your guys' study sheet is I kind of broke this down. So first of all, understanding that when Paul's explaining this to the Thessalonians, or the Thessalonians over in Thessalonica, um, he's explaining this to them from the perspective of that the motivation for knowing and understanding this truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he says at the very beginning. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So he wants them to understand this mystery. And there's a reason why. And it's the next verse here. It says that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. So here you have the enemies of God. They sent forged letters to churches to weaken their faith. That's your blank, weaken. To weaken their faith. Because this is exactly what the enemy of God does. The enemy of God wants to weaken your faith. And so if he can get you to believe something that is not true, then he is going to weaken your faith. This is why it's so important that you understand when it comes to reading your Bible. There are some Bibles out there that are not good Bibles to use. 
that they frankly straight up just completely and totally change what God has actually said in order to get people off track. There are some religions that are out there that discourage people from reading the Bible because they don't want people to understand what the Bible says. Because if they understand what the Bible says, they'll find out that the things they're being taught are not actually true. There's so many things like this that are out there. And so here you have these people that are in Thessalonica. They received a letter that was not from Paul, but it was written in the hand of Paul. So that means somebody wrote this counterfeit letter and then signed it Paul at the bottom, and it went completely contrary to what God was already teaching these people. And so these people were shaken in their faith, and that's exactly what the enemy likes to do. And then he says after that, that that day is not going to come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin, uh, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And so they believe that that day had already come, that they had somehow missed the rapture, that now they're in this position, they're like, what do we do? We missed the rapture. So does that mean that we're not saved? And he's like, no, 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 no. Listen, that day's not going to come until there's a falling away first, and then you have this man of sin, the son of perdition. Then he's going to be revealed. And he starts to go through some of these other details. So then you have the next point, that the Antichrist will exalt himself and claim that he is God. He says that in verse 4. This son of perdition, this man of sin, he opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this is something huge that the uh, the people during the tribulation should hopefully understand because they're going to have a copy of the Bible that they can read. But the temple in Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. Today it is not there. Today you have the uh, Islamic holy site, or at least they claim it's a holy site, when it's actually like number three, four, or five on their list as far as holy sites. And they have built the Dome of the Rock on the place where the temple is supposed to be built. And so if you were to go over there, you'd see this thing there, and that temple is going to be rebuilt, which means something's going to happen that's going to tear that sucker down, and they're going to rebuild the temple on that site. Now, when they do that, they're going to build it exactly how it was according to the Old Testament. And there's going to be, you know, you have the outer court, then you have the holy place, and then you have the most holy place, which is the part that only the high priest could go, where they have the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark, you have the mercy seat between the two cherubims. And God's presence is on that seat. And so the Antichrist is going to go into that temple, walk straight through the curtain, and he's going to sit up on that seat and claim that he is God. That's what he's going to do. And when that happens, the book of uh, Matthew, uh, chapter 24, says very explicitly to the Jews, when you see that happen, it's time to flee because things are going to get really, really bad. Really, really bad. But that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to call himself God. And God wants us to be crystal clear about these matters because of verse 5. He says, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So God wants us to know this stuff. So even though this is not going to happen in your lifetime because you're going to be raptured out of here for those of you that know christ god still wants you to know about this stuff because the enemy is going to try to do whatever he can to try to confuse you and to confuse other people and there's a whole lot of people that are very confused about the issues of the, of the last days and so the the power behind the mystery of iniquity is setting the stage for his end game and that's your second blank on those check marks the power behind the mystery of iniquity is setting the stage for his end game so when we talk about the mystery of iniquity, I just want to work through these verses very quickly and get through the rest of the details. All right, verse 6. Take a look at verse 6. So he told him of these things, verse 5, verse 6, And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. So there is a hidden aspect to this mystery of iniquity where the enemy is not 
letting all his cards out on the table. Like, any of you like to play games? Especially, like, strategy games? Anybody? Or anybody like to play Uno? Okay. All right. I love Uno. My kids are learning how to play Uno right now. They're pretty good at it for the most part. But we constantly have an issue with them. Is that they're, like, their cards are, like, white. I'm, like, dude, Lucas, I can see your cards. You're, like, letting everybody see your cards. You can't let people see your cards. Why? What will happen if you let people see your cards? You know the next move. Yes. You know what they're going to play. And you know what to do. So if someone's like, Uno. All right. Don't call green. He's got green. You know, I mean, it's easy. So if you know the cards of the other players, sorry for spitting on you. If you know the cards of the other players, it's easier to win, right? Okay. The devil is a master at what he does. He does not show all of his cards. He doesn't. He keeps it hidden. He keeps it to himself because if he lets it out there, I mean, it's going to be like, I'm not going to follow that guy. Are you kidding me? This is why he's good at what he does. He's very subtle. He's very deceitful. But here's the reality behind it. God is letting us see his cards. He's letting us see his hand. He's letting us see his strategy, his approach. And so if you don't get into the Bible, when God is revealing unto you exactly what the enemy is going to do and how he's going to do it and what you need to be careful of in your own life, how are you going to win? And the answer is, you're not going to win. And I believe, for the most part, I mean, there's a lot of other factors, but I believe that a lot of Christians fail daily because they don't get into what God has told them. They don't remember the things that God has told them. They're not walking with God because God wants you to be successful. He doesn't want you to be duped. He doesn't want you to be deceived. The things that he speaks to you is not to kind of ruin your life. Like, that's ridiculous. God did not give you this book to ruin your life. He gave you this book to make your life more fruitful and to give you success in your life. And, and this goes the same for people that, that care about you, that are walking with God. And like, let's say something unfolds in your life that they're like, hey, I'm really concerned about in your life, whatever it is. Like, you really think they're just doing that because they just love to make you miserable? Or they want to somehow ruin what you got going on? No. They want you to be successful. And so when people come into your life and they rebuke you and you may not like it, I completely understand that because I've been there. I've been there. But I'm telling you, they're not doing it because they want to make you miserable. They're doing it because they care about you and they want you to be successful. So you should probably listen to what they have to say. And I've made mistakes where I wish I would have listened to the people around me. Because I myself have fallen prey to the mystery of iniquity in my own life, and I've had to pay dearly for it. So just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So verse 6 tells us clearly that Satan is hiding his plan because he doesn't want it out. But God is revealing that plan to us. Verse 7. Take a look at verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. So it's already been at work. He has been working a plan since the very, very beginning. You know, I enjoy, I mean, after a while it gets kind of old, but I enjoy like those, you know, the Oceans 8, Oceans 11, Oceans 12, Oceans, like, I love those ones because you start to see the plan come together and you're like, oh, no way. You start to see the plan unfold. And I love stuff like that. I love a good mystery. I love a good movie that has a great storyline where there's twists and turns to it. And it's just, it's fascinating. I love that kind of stuff. The devil has his own story that he's working in the midst of human history in order to counterfeit God's plan and destroy God's work. And it's been working since the very beginning. 
Now take a look at this. So he says that there, and then there's a colon, because he's going to explain a little bit more off of this. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed. Okay, so we don't use the terms letteth and let like this, but when you look at that term uh, in the King James English uh, back in 1611 when they used that, it really means to prevent. Only he who now prevents will keep doing that, keep preventing it until he be taken out of the way. So this plan is hidden. It's kept close. The cards are not shown until he decides to lay them out. That's really what it's talking about. And so this wicked, this son of perdition, this man, he's going to be taken out of the way and then shall that wicked be revealed. And notice it's a capital W and that would be the devil himself taking over a human body uh, known as the Antichrist that God's going to then destroy with the spirit of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming as it says in the end of verse 8. So this talks about, and we could look in more detail about this, but this talks about in Revelation 13, um, and there's other passages, but in Revelation 13 in verse 3 and verse 12, it talks about how the Antichrist is going to be assassinated during the tribulation. So the tribulation is going to occur. You have a seven-year period. Halfway through that three-and-a-half-year mark, there's going to be an assassination attempt against the Antichrist where he's going to be wounded in his head. So it's very likely it could be a gunshot of some kind where he's taken out and it's a headshot. And so what happens is, though, is that he, is, uh, he has a deadly wound in his head, and then it says that it is healed. So there is a resurrection that's going to take place where he's going to be like Jesus Christ, where he's going to resurrect from the dead. But the difference is, is that when he resurrects, it's going to be Satan taking over that body and then operating and using him uh, to really work out the rest of the mystery of iniquity. So that's how it's going to unfold when you study this out completely in Revelation 13. If you want to write those verses down, up to you. Revelation 13, verses 3 and verse 12 talks about that assassination attempt. And then there's a false resurrection that takes place. And then it says, then shall that wicked be revealed. And then notice in verse 9, it talks about even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So he's going to call himself God and he's going to look just like the part. Just like back in Exodus where you had Moses and you had the two false prophets under Pharaoh, the false magicians. Janus and Jambres were their names. It's revealed in the New Testament. And so you have Moses and Aaron. They do certain things. And these guys almost counterfeit every single one of them. But there comes a point where they can't counterfeit the other things that they're doing because they're false. They're false guys. They're false magicians. False prophets. So here you have the devil taking over this body and it says that he's going to have power and signs and lying wonders and so he is going to look the part he's going to sound the part and people are going to fall right into it and they're going to think that he's the messiah so it's pretty scary because there's a lot of things going on today in the world of christianity where there are christians that say that they have signs and wonders that are false and it's going to play right into the antichrist and what he's going to do uh, when he shows up onto the scene it's gonna be pretty crazy pretty crazy Okay, so then past that, the last check mark I have on here is, but all his devices shall fail, his followers share in his fate, and the Lord Jesus Christ shall declare victory. That's exactly what it says in the remainder of those verses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So that's just a quick summary for you to have on hand um, of this revealing of the mystery. So it's been working all along throughout human history, but there comes a point where this mystery is finally revealed, and is when the Antichrist 
is going to reveal himself in the temple of God, declaring that he's God, working with great power and signs and lying wonders, calling himself God, calling himself the Messiah, and wanting the whole world to worship him. Because that's what he wants. Because if he can get the world to worship him, then he can declare that Jesus is a false god, and that's how he can amass a large army to fight against Jesus at his second coming. So that's kind of the summary of those details. All right, so what's the origin of this mystery? The origin of this mystery is Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Take a look at Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. All right, I wanted to show you this one <clears throat> because there's a couple things in here that are quite fascinating that I think that you should start to be able to see when the mystery of iniquity starts to occur in your life. Because there's a couple things you can really see here that really show you uh, what the mystery of iniquity actually is. Okay, Ezekiel 28, take a look at, let's see here, um, verse 12. All right. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden. All right, pause for a second. So who's he talking about there in verse 12? Who's the subject? Who's the focus? What is that? Not Adam. Nope. It is Lucifer, but what does it say in verse 12? Nope. King of Tyrus. Okay. It says, thus, after this, it says, King of Tyrus, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. So he's talking about the king of Tyrus. Now, God does this a lot, all right? It's this thing that's called types in the Bible. So God is using the king of Tyrus to give you a type of the devil, okay? He does this a lot. I mean, Pharaoh is a great type of the Antichrist and of the devil. Judas is a great type of the Antichrist and the devil. Solomon was a great type of Jesus and the Antichrist, both in his lifetime. So God will use people and events as pictures to show you doctrinal truths. So here he talks about the king of Tyrus. Now, if you were to study the king of Tyrus, you'd find out this dude was wicked, wicked, evil, evil man. And there's more details about him if you study him in history that will let you know why this guy was a type of the Antichrist. So he says, King of Tyrus, and then in verse 13, thou hast been in Eden. The king of Tyrus was not in Eden, right? Who are the people in Eden? Adam and Eve and Satan. But did you know that before Adam and Eve, there was another Eden? There was another Eden. That Eden was the place where Lucifer ruled and reigned. If you were to study Isaiah 14, you'll find out that Lucifer, before he fell that he had a throne and he had dominion. So he had a kingdom and that kingdom was also called Eden. And so here it says, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. This is talking about Lucifer here before he fell. The sardis, the topaz and the diamond and the barrel, the onyx and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald and the carbuncle and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Lucifer's body was made up of all these precious stones and jewels and musical instruments. 
It's exactly what it says. There were pipes in his body. So he had the ability to play music with the body that God gave him, and his body was made up of all of these precious stones. Okay, got the picture so far? It's kind of weird, thinking of a body made up of musical instruments and gems and jewels, but that's what it says. All right, and then let's keep going. And then it says in verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. So he's called what in verse 14? The anointed cherub. Now, where do cherubs show up in the Bible? What do they do? The throne of God. What do they do? Yep, they surround the throne of God. So let's pretend this pulpit here, this lectern, is the throne of God, okay? Now, when you study out like Ezekiel and Revelation, and uh, those are the main ones where the the cherubs show up, if this was the throne of God, there's four of them. There's one here, there's one here, there's one here, and there's one here. Anywhere where the throne of God went, the cherubs, the cherubim, would also follow. And they constantly, they covered God's throne. That was their responsibility. Now, here he's called the anointed cherub that, what's it say? Covereth. So that means you have one, two, three, four. He's the fifth cherub. Where would he be? Right out front. He's the anointed cherub. So as he stood in front of the throne of God, and God, according to 1 John chapter 1, God is light, and him is no darkness at all, what would you think would happen? Think of his body, think of God's light. What would occur? It would shine either through him or reflect off of him. It's not clear about how it's worded, but it would either shine through him, and God's light, pure white light, would go through, and it hit that that sapphire, and boom, you'd have a beam of, like, beautiful blue. I mean, just an emerald. Boom! It'd be, it'd be gorgeous. Gorgeous. All the colors that would be radiant off of him. And then he's playing music, and then people are singing. Holy, holy, holy unto the Lord God Almighty. I mean, amazing. Absolutely amazing. So that was his responsibility. All right? So we got that so far? And he walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He had his throne down upon the earth, and you had God's throne that was right above the earth, and he would walk up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He would be there. And then it says in verse 15, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. So he was not content with how God made him. He wanted to become like God, because in his mind, I mean, think about it. I add so much value to God. I mean, what would God have? I mean, people are singing unto him. They are adoring him because I'm standing out front in front of him. And people are seeing the radiant light of God go throughout the entire universe. I'm playing such gorgeous music. All these people are singing so much better because of me. God would not get as much glory as he's getting if it wasn't for me. You know what? God really needs me to the point where he's like, you know what? I'm actually more important than God. That's really what he thought in his heart. And because of that, iniquity was found in him. Now, specifically in verses 16 and 17, it gives us exactly what that iniquity that was found in him, what exactly it was. And I will tell you, it lines up perfectly with your life today. I am telling you, this world, your flesh, the devil, the way he tries to get you lines up with these three things that you're going to see in these next two verses. All right, look at this. Verse 16. By the multitude of thy, what's that word? 
Merchandise. What is merchandise, by the way? Things. Possessions. Materialism. Right? Okay, so it's materialism. It's the things that you buy. It's the things that you possess. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore will I cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So the first thing that caused him to sin was the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye. It was merchandise. It was materialism. 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 Tell me you don't struggle with materialism. Okay, you're a liar. That's the biggest you lie. Just tell me. Just FYI. I mean, is this not something that makes the entire world just go around? Yes. I mean, you start to, to just consider the United States economy. What is the economy? It's people having money that they don't have necessarily, and they're buying things that just go away. The economy. I mean, our, the reason why our nation is so successful is because we have a strong economy. People have the ability to get money and to buy stuff. Okay, that's not a coincidence. And it's not a coincidence that you and I, we struggle with materialism. There are things that we don't have that we lust after and we desire in order to get them. But then once you get them, what happens? Throw them in the toy box and you're done with it. <laughs> Andy still has a toy box. You throw them in the toy box and then you're done and then you move on to the next thing. I mean, everything is designed that way. I mean, just think just for a second about like, you know, iPhones or video game consoles or fashion. Tell me something that doesn't end up going away. Like, okay, it's fashionable for this season, but then next year, no, it's not any longer. Well, yeah, the Xbox console, you know, it's fantastic until the next one comes out four or five years down the road because they want bigger, better, more powerful, better graphics. And then what happens after a long time, especially in the clothing and the fashion business, is that you have clothes that go out of style, and then it circles back around and it's back in style again. Mm-hmm. And by that time, you've gotten rid of stuff, right? So this whole thing is completely and totally of the devil, totally. And we struggle with materialism. That's what exactly what he did. The multitude of his merchandise. He had merchandise, and he sold it, and it created violence inside of himself because of his pride, and he sinned against God. All right? So that's the first one. Second one, verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Beauty. Aesthetics. How things look. How things make you feel. That's the lust of the flesh. That's the lust of the eye. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. You have to. Because that's exactly what he cared about. His heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. There was no one more beautiful than him. He was the most beautiful created creature that God had ever laid his hands on absolutely beautiful and he loved his beauty he loved his aesthetics and how things looked he wanted things to be very very nice and i'm telling you you've got to be careful thou hast corrupted thy what's the next one wisdom by reason of thy brightness now let me ask you a question here someone who's super smart you know how they're often called or referred to someone who's very very bright right what Good. A nerd? Well, yeah, I'm talking nicely, you know, here. A genius, all right? Even in the old cartoons. Like, I love Tom and Jerry, right? Or, uh, or Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. You guys know that one? When Wile E. Coyote would get an idea, what would happen? Bing! Light bulb, all right? 
Or you do Gru today, light bulb. Okay. So all these things go hand in hand. Wisdom, by reason of thy brightness. This guy was smart. Intellect. Education. So this is exactly what makes the world go around. Materialism. Aesthetics. Education. Am I right? This is why Lucifer, now called the devil after he fell, is called the god of this world. And those are the three things that this world cares about. And if those are the three things that you care about, you need to be very, very careful. Because you might fall right into the mystery of iniquity and you have no idea. Completely duped. Now, is it wrong to have stuff? No. Is it wrong to look good? No. Is it wrong to be intelligent? No. But what's the danger in those three things? Pride, yes, but it controls you. Okay, I'm looking for something. Come on, think about it. What's that? It distracts you. It distracts you. Okay, yep, very well. You won't be set apart. You won't be set apart because. What's that? Okay, you're the same as the world. These are all true statements. Yeah, who said that? Okay. I did not. You copied after me. All right, arm wrestle now. Arm wrestle. I said it first. I said it first, Brandon. You're not that smart. Okay. This is exactly why. This is exactly why. You remember the. uh, You remember the rich man that came to Jesus, and he said, "Um, "I've kept all the laws since my youth. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus told him one thing. He said, "Go and sell all that you have, and you'll have treasure in the kingdom of heaven." And then what happened to that dude? He went away very, very sad. And says, because he had great riches. And then Jesus made a statement. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Why? They don't need God. They never struggle because they have all they ever want. They have all the beauty that they ever would want. And they have all the wisdom that they would ever want. And so they don't think they need God. See, this is the danger in your life. Many of you, the reason why you don't think you need God is because of these three things. And the reason why you don't walk with God is because you don't think you need him. This is the same in my life. When I am not walking with God, it's because I don't see my need for him. I don't see that, man, God, I am lost without you. It's because I'm not believing what it says in John 15, verse 5, where it says, without you, I can do nothing. See, someone that does not know that or does not see that or does not believe that, they will not get in their Bible. They will not pray. They will not faithfully go to church. They will not do anything for the Lord because they're not walking with him because they don't have a need for him. And that's why sometimes God has to let your life fall apart in order for him to get you to understand how much you actually need him. And I feel bad if you let it get that far because I've let it get that far in my life. And it was a disaster. It was terrible. But I'm thankful that God was patient enough with me to let me wreck my life in order for me to understand how much I actually needed him. You are a sinner. You are a miserable, hideous, ugly, no good, rotten sinner that needs a savior. And you can never get too far away from that fact. Because the devil did. And that's what turned him from Lucifer, meaning light bearer, into the devil, the deceiver, the manipulator, the accuser of the brethren, and all his other names that he has. 
So the mystery of iniquity is something that runs deep. And it is very deceitful, and you have to be on guard. You have got to be on guard. Okay, that's the origin. The purpose is to counter, counterfeit and confound the work of God. You're going to look up these verses later. Your blank there is plan of God. The plan of God, it is to counter, counterfeit, and confound the plan of God. Just through everything I just explained out of Ezekiel 28, you guys should be able to understand that. When you don't see your need for God, then you're not going to allow God to have his way in your life, which means the plan that he has for you can't unfold. And if he can counter that plan in your life, then you're going to end up following a counterfeit plan where you are going to follow a plan in your life where you think it's going to fulfill you, that, it, that you think that it's going to be the thing that God wants you to do, but deep down it's really what you want to do out of your own pride and your own deceit, and you'll find out that it will lead you very, very empty. And then ultimately to confound it, to completely destroy God's plan. You know, there are people that follow their own plan so far that it's almost impossible for them to come back and make the proper repairs. Now, it is possible. I know people uh, that have testimonies that later in life, like when they got a lot older, they end up getting saved. And because of that, they now work like 20 times harder than anybody else because they want to make up for what they had lost. I know a lot of people that are like that. You know, I just went to the funeral this past uh, weekend, uh, or this past week on Thursday, of uh, David Bozer. Uh, he was the guy, if you remember him, he was always in the back. He had the oxygen tank. He wore the oxygen on his, on his, uh, under his nose. And if you didn't know, he also uh, had honey and stuff. It was amazing. He and his uh, daughter had beehives, and they would have honey and stuff, and they'd sell it. Um, sweet, sweet man. Well, he didn't get saved until, like, 2010. So, like, talking about his 50s. Um, late 40s, his appendix burst and he was like 5% away. Like the doctor's like, yeah, he has a 5% chance to live. And he was in a coma. And he came out of that coma and ended up accepting Christ as his savior. And his life completely changed. But he wasted like 45 years of his life. But he was a changed man after that. And he made up for it as best as he could. But you know what? He wasn't guaranteed to make it out of that coma. Just like you're not guaranteed tomorrow or five years from now. If you're alive today, you need to walk with God. That's what you need to do. And so here you have this scenario where the devil wants to completely counter it, make you follow another plan, and then make you completely useless in the plan of God and in the kingdom of God because you didn't follow God's plan for your life. That's exactly what he wants. He's very deceitful. All right, next page. And you can read this at another point in time. This is a great reference to have Satan's trail of destruction throughout history. Um, You have types of the Antichrist found in the Bible over on the left-hand side. You've got types of the Antichrist in recent history between Julius Caesar, Constantine, Charlemagne, Napoleon, Hitler. Uh, and you can see his hatred of Israel throughout church history. And there's so many incredible details of how many Jews were murdered or exiled because of the devil and his plan. And then the devil's hatred for born-again believers throughout church history. Because he hates us just the same. And this is just a small sampling of recorded history. So you can take a look at that a little bit later. And then I have all the names that the devil is called in the Bible. Right there. I mean, he's called so many different things that reflect uh, his character and God kind of revealing um, his hand uh, unto you so that way you know what kind of man that he is and how wicked he is and the things that he's going to do because he likes to keep his cards very, very close. He doesn't want you to see who he actually is. And so let's talk about the end of this mystery and our response to this mystery. Um, In Revelation 19 and 20... um, you have the end of this mystery, and that blank there is the lake of fire. 
Revelation 19, 20, and 21, and Revelation uh, 20, verses 9 and 10, and verse 15 gives you all the details. It's those last few verses on each of those checkpoints, so you can kind of underline them if you want to. But it tells you the end of this mystery. Satan and his counterfeit trinity, because yes, he has a counterfeit trinity. At one point, uh, God is going to throw all of them into the lake of fire. And then all those that are deceived by the devil following his plan, they also are going to be thrown into the lake of fire as well. And the last verse, as far as verse uh, chapter 20, verse 15, and it says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this mystery is going to come to an end. And the devil and his false trinity and everyone deceived by him, they are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And that is going to be the end. And if that doesn't bother you about people around you or even in your own life, then you've got some serious heart issues that are wrong. So what's our response? Based on everything we've talked about so far, what is our response? There's only one thing that will reveal this mystery and the enemy behind it, and that is the Word of God. And so that's your last blank here, the Word of God. And I think we've made that pretty evident, pretty clear this morning. There's only one thing that's going to reveal the plan of the devil to use your flesh, this world, in order to counter and counterfeit and confound the plan of God in your life, and that is the Word of God. That's the only thing that's going to reveal the whole thing. Let me look up two verses. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 will end in verse 98 and 105. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. All right, someone read 98 and someone read 105. Who wants 98? Got that one? You can take 105. Thou through thy commandments. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever Okay, right there. Hold on. Through thy commandments, thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies. See, you don't have to be defeated by your enemies. You don't have to. God says that you can be wiser than your enemies, but it's through what? (laughs) It says it in the Bible. (laughs) Through thy what? Commandments, which is another term for? The Word of God. Yes, the Bible. Okay, all right, all right. Well, I think we're all on the same page now. Yes, the Word of God, the Bible. So through the Word of God, the Bible, it makes you wiser than your enemies. And here's why. Your enemies are going to always be with you, but so is the Word of God. You're always going to have enemies against you, so you need to always have the Word of God with you. All right, and then 105. Go ahead, Carson. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do you actually believe that? Do you believe that God's Word is a lamp and a light? So that way, when you know where you're going, you're like, okay, should I make this decision? Yes. Should I make this decision? No. Should I make this decision? Yes. I mean, this is how it should work in our life. The Word of God is a lamp and it is a light. It brings light to your decisions. Oftentimes, the reason why people do not take counsel from God's Word is because they don't want to know what it says. Because if they know what it says then they're not going to get to do what they really want to do deep down. And that's another issue you got to deal with on your own. So based on that, I just got four things that I just really want you to think about. And they're at the bottom of your guys' study sheet. How well do you know your Bible? How well do you know your Bible? It is a lamp and it is a light, and it makes you wiser than your enemy. So how well do you know it? It should be one of the most important things that you know. You should know this sucker inside and out. Now, it can take time to learn it for sure, but start now. You've got to start now. If you start now getting to know your Bible, you'll know it better than me at my age. You will. 
You need to start now. You need to start now. Can you clearly explain what you believe, why you believe it, and give evidence of it from the Bible? That's important. You know, okay, you got people like Noah's talking about. They don't believe that heaven exists. You know why I believe heaven exists? Because the Bible says it does. You know why I believe hell exists? Because the Bible says it does. And I can go to the Bible and I can show you exactly where it says that heaven and hell are real. And I believe it because this is what this says. I believe the rapture is going to occur because of what the Bible says. I believe the Antichrist and his plan and how it's all laid out because God laid it out perfectly and clearly in his word. And I can show it to you. You should be able to do that. You should be able to do that. Do you spend good quality time with God each day through the word and prayer? I'm not talking about long amounts of time, good quality time with him. Because we all can spend time with God, but it not be quality. If you're not spending quality time with God, then you cannot walk with him. There's a lot of Christians who just read their Bible and memorize just because they say that that's, they've got it done. They want to be a good Christian and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. And what is one thing that you need to do, learn, or grow in to be more secure in your faith and walk with God? Because if you don't think about these things and if you can't answer these with a good heart attitude, then you're going to be duped. You're going to be duped in one way or another. At some point in your life, you're going to be duped and the mystery of iniquity is going to take you out. It's going to take you out. Now, it is possible to recover, but it is harder. And you're going to have baggage to carry with you because of the mystery of iniquity. So don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. All right, any questions? Yeah. Why did you spell Charlemagne and Napoleon like that? Uh, it was probably from past notes of Pastor Tom. So. Because I think I pulled those from previous notes that he did on the Antichrist. Okay. All right, we good? Okay. Yeah. Guys, stick around just for a couple minutes. All right, let's pray really quick. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us, and I pray that we'd listen. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.